Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Alex. I am the worship pastor here at CBC. If I haven't met you yet, it's good to meet each of you right now. Uh, We are in week 12 of our 12-part series that we've been talking about the spiritual disciplines of, uh, of, of worship and of uh, things like fasting, community, service, confession, and simplicity. And we are wrapping up that series this week with worship. I'll be talking about uh, what the Bible says about worship, what it means to incorporate uh, worship into our daily lives and throughout our week. I'm really excited to be talking about this because you guys get to see me up here on the stage uh, singing, playing the guitar, and leading the team, but you don't often get to hear from me about um, what worship means to me and where I get my vision for worship for our church here. Um, let's start with the understanding that the word worship has its roots in the word worthship. Let's start with the understanding that the reason we are learning and growing together this morning is because our God is worthy of our praise. Our God is worthy of our worship. That's kind of the the groundwork that I want to start from. Uh, We're going to be reading from the book of Psalms today, almost exclusively from the Psalms. And so I would encourage you to get out your Bibles. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are going to be coming down the aisles right now to give you one if you don't have one. These Bibles are a gift for you. Uh, We've given out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these Bibles. We think it's so important that each person has their own Bible that we would love to gift these to you. So just slip up your hands if you need one of those, and an usher will get you one. You can put your name in it and uh, consider that a gift from our church. Uh, before we get started, I want to give you just a little bit of background on, uh, on myself and my family. I grew up in central Montana, born and raised, and then in 2006, I moved to southwest Montana for school. And that is where I met my wife, my wife Katie, and uh, we were married in 2010, so we're coming up on eight years of marriage already. It goes by very, very fast. I'm sure all of you know that. Um, We have a two-year-old son named Henry, and Henry is everything that you would expect a two-year-old to be in that one moment he is just a ball of energy and fun and a joy to be around, and then the next moment... He is just a puddle of tears and tantrum on the ground. So that is what we're dealing with right now. It's really fun. It's really, really fun. (laughs) Um, We moved to Nebraska. We we moved to Blair uh, less than a year ago, just at the end of June, beginning of July. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to is uh, a real spring. In Montana, there is no such thing ever as spring. It's a foot and a half of snow, and then it's 90 degrees, and the snow melts. There's no in-between. There's no thing called spring. I see some tulips already budding out in front of the church, and I'm excited to experience a spring here. We're getting acclimated to almost all the really, really important things in the area, like we know where Fernando's is, and we know how to get to Costco. Those are the two important things that we've settled on. But one of the things that we haven't settled on yet is whether we are uh, exclusively a Walmart family or if we're a family fair kind of family. <laughs> to, be, to be determined. But speaking of family fair, I was there the other day just picking up a couple of things, odds and ends. And uh, the woman in front of me in the line at the checkout, she kept turning around and looking at me uh, a, little, a little bit strange, kind of... Turning around, doing, doing one of these. And that happens sometimes. I have a very public, uh, public job leading worship here. And I, I was just, yep, that's where you've seen me. You know, good to meet you, that kind of thing. But this woman turns around and she says, you know what's crazy? You look exactly like my son. 
exactly like my son. And I said, well, he must be a really good looking kid. (laughs) And she got very serious and she said, actually, my son passed away last year. And, um, you know, my mood changed pretty quickly. And I said, I'm very sorry for your loss. This must be a very uh, hard thing for you to be going through. She said, yes, yes it is. And, uh, you know, we made small talk for just a minute or so. And, and she said, you know what would just mean the world to me is if on my way out of here, you just called me mom and said, see you at home, mom. And it, my, heart, my heart just was wrenched. And I said, I will do anything for you right now. Yes, I will do that for you. And she checked out. And as she's leaving with her cart, I smiled, I waved, and I said, bye, mom. I'll see you at home. And she smiled and went on her way. And, um, you know, I, I, I checked, checked out. And as the cashier looked at me, uh, she, she smiled and said, that'll be 104.50. And I said, but I've just got a, I've just got a couple things here. And the cashier says, well, your mom said you were going to get hers too. Get her groceries too. And I, I mean, a, my, my brain just froze. I couldn't, I couldn't process what was happening. And so I thought about the last few minutes of what had just happened. And it looked like I was her son. The cashier was expecting me to pay for this woman's groceries. And the only thing I could do in my panic was I thought, I got to get that lady. So I grabbed my groceries, I ran out the door, not paying for my groceries or hers, and I run out the door, and I see her towards getting her car in the parking lot, I start running out there, corner of my eye, I see like a store manager or something, he's he's running out the doors after me. I'm running out into the parking lot, and the the manager catches up with me, grabs onto my legs, and I'm kind of doing one of these, he's pulling on my leg, pulling on my leg, pulling on my leg just like I'm pulling your leg right now. (laughs) That didn't happen. Just wanted to loosen loosen things up a little bit. Loosen things up a little bit before we get started. If that ever happens to you, don't go back to that store. Uh, My wife and I moved into a house. We bought a house right across the street from the Dana campus, and it's 112 years old. It's a super old house, and as you can imagine, it's got a lot of character, but it also needs a lot of upkeep. It needs a lot of projects done, and that's part of the reason that we bought it in the first place, was so that we could do these projects and renovations and make it our own. We are able to make it our own, and um, over the years, I've gathered, I've accumulated a lot of tools. Some of these tools I bought Uh, because something needed to be fixed. And some of these tools I bought because something needed to be built. Now, all these tools have a purpose, but some of them get used more more than others. This drill, I use it all the time. Who doesn't need a good drill? I use it all the time. Never fails. But this hole saw, this six inch hole saw, I bought it for one project, one time, because I was building uh, the cornhole boards and it needed a six inch hole in the middle. Uh, And just so you know, Buying this and the materials and building it is still cheaper than buying one online. Still cheaper than buying one online. If you need to borrow a six-inch hole saw, I've got one. Come find me afterwards. Now, these tools, though I've accumulated a lot of them through the years, they do me no good if I don't use them. They do me no good if I've just got them in a box or on a shelf in my garage. These tools have a purpose But that purpose is only fulfilled if I use them for that purpose. 
my goal today is to equip you and talk about worship in practical, biblical, relevant ways and give you the tools that you might need to use for your worship and for your praise. But keep reminding yourself throughout this, throughout this talk this morning, that these tools do you no good if you don't put them into practice. If you don't put them into practice, they just sit on a shelf and you know about them. They will do you no good. I grew up in a four-square charismatic church in central Montana. And that means that I didn't hear a hymn, didn't know they existed until college. I had never heard a hymn until college. The band at my church growing up consisted of drums, electric guitars, bass, keyboards, vocals. Uh, There was guitar solos throughout the songs. The worship leader actually was a former 80s rocker. So you can imagine that 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 was my upbringing. My wife, on the other hand, Katie, she grew up in a Dutch Christian Reformed church. Very conservative. Very conservative. So the first time that I brought Katie to the church that I grew up in, when we were dating and I brought her home to my hometown, we walked into the church and things started and she was completely out of her element. Completely out of her element. Uh, the, the singing was different. The songs were strange. Uh, there was a lady dancing over here. There's a guy laying in the aisle down flat on his face doing nothing. And to cap it all off, in the back, a lady pulls out, uh, a woman pulls out a, uh, a ram's horn, a shofar, and starts blowing it in the middle of worship. <laughs> now, this is all good, you know, fine and well, but Katie has this look on her face. She's looking at me like, who are you? I don't even know if I can date you anymore. <laughs> and so your idea of what worship and praise look like is shaped by your background. Whether you grew up in a charismatic church, a conservative church, or you've got no church background at all, when you read the scriptures and you see the word worship or you see the word praise, you bring your own context to what it means when you're reading it because of your background. Now, I used to think that the Bible didn't have a lot to say about what worship and what praise looked like. But I'm actually here this morning to argue that it has some pretty good detail on what our worship and our praise is to look like, both here on Sundays and throughout the week. About a year ago, I heard a sermon that changed my life, honestly. Uh, The pastor had talked about the seven words of praise. He called his message, the seven words of praise. And as he was speaking, I kept thinking, I've been leading worship for more than half my life. I've been leading worship for more than half my life. How have I never heard this before? How have I never heard this before? This changes everything. Now, if you've been around the church for any period of time, you've probably heard a sermon about the four Greek words for love. There's four Greek words for love that were translated into one English word, love, in the Bible. So when you're reading the Bible, if you know the context and if you know uh, the Greek word for love, it brings you greater meaning for what you're reading in Scripture. So uh, those four words in Greek are storge, philea, eros, and agape. Now in the language of Scripture, you would use the same words for I love Fernando's and I love my son. You'd use, this, you'd use the same word 
when we're, when we're speaking in English. But in Greek, you'd use a more specific word for that kind of love. Now, doesn't it kind of cheapen the meaning and lessen the impact of the word love unless you use the right kind of love? Now, in the same way that the uh, New Testament translators translated four Greek words into one English word, the, New Test- or the Old Testament translators translated seven, seven Hebrew words of praise into just one word in English, praise. Seven words were boiled down into one word praise. So when we're reading through scripture and we see that word praise, which is all over scripture, there's a deeper meaning than what we bring with our own background and our own context when we're reading it. And so I I bet that when you got here this morning, you weren't thinking you're going to learn any Hebrew Let me change your mind. You're going to learn some Hebrew today. So get ready for this. And uh, we're going to dive in here in a second. But let's start with prayer. Let's pray together. God, we are here this morning because you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of us growing in our knowledge and our understanding of who you are and what you intended for our worship to be like, God. We would ask that each one of us here this morning would just take one step closer to you today, God. Just one step closer to you, Father. Speak to our hearts and change us today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So all of the Hebrew words that we're going to be looking at today um, are referenced in the book of Psalms. They're they're, uh, referenced throughout Scripture, but we're going to be looking at them specifically in the Psalms. Because uh, these Psalms are just rich with talk about praise. Richard Foster, who's an author that uh, we've been using as just a good resource uh, for this whole Stronger series, he said this about the Psalms. The Psalms are the literature of worship, and their most prominent feature is praise. Praise the Lord is the shout that reverberates from one end of the Psalter to the other, singing, shouting, dancing, rejoicing, adoring. All are the language of praise. All are the language of praise. So I'd encourage you to get out your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms. Chapter 67 is where we're going to start. Psalm 67, verse 3. The Psalms are about halfway through the Bible. Uh, If you see Job, you just need to go one more book. If you see Proverbs, take a left and you'll end up in Psalms. The first Hebrew word for praise that we're going to look at is yada. Everybody say yada. Nicely done. Psalm 67, verse 3 says, May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. That word is yadah. May the nations yadah you, O God. Yes, may all the nations yadah you. Yadah means to revere or to worship with extended hands, to hold out the hands in praise. How many of you remember the first time that you saw a hand raiser at church. Now, some of us, like me, I grew up in a hand raising church and it was a completely normal experience for me. I didn't know anything different. But some of us, the first time that we saw somebody raising a hand during worship, you were kind of like, Yeah, you got a question? What, what do you need? You need something? Can I help you? You know, that kind of thing. Now, and it's, it seemed uncomfortable and it seemed strange that someone was raising their hand, and a lot of us still feel weird, and we don't know if it's appropriate to raise our hands during worship. Now, let's imagine that we are all at a Blair High School football game. It's Friday night. 
We're at a football game, and we're playing against Elkhorn. It's one of our rivals, the Elkhorn Antlers, which is just a horrible, horrible mascot, the Antlers. What is that? No offense if you're a former Antler. Now, we're at this football game, and it's the fourth quarter. There's eight seconds left on the clock. Whoever wins this game is going on to the next level of the playoffs. It's fourth down. We're out of timeouts. Quarterback takes the snap. He drops back. He goes to his left. He goes to his right. Dodges the tackle. The clock goes to zeros. Zeros across the board. And he just lets a Hail Mary fly down the field towards the end zone. And for a second, it's completely silent in the stadium. You could, you could hear a pin drop. It's happening in slow motion because that's the way it always does. And the Blair wide receiver dives, makes a one-handed grab in the end zone for a touchdown. And what does everybody in the stadium do? They throw their hands in the air in celebration for what has just happened. And everybody's doing it. Now, why is it so normal and so easy to throw our hands up in celebration of a meaningless game? And yet we feel that it's strange and uncomfortable to hold up our hands in celebration of the creator, the one true God of the universe. Why is it so strange that we feel uncomfortable doing this? Yada is found 111 times in scripture, and it mostly describes those moments when the people are so overwhelmed with the glory of God and what he has done that they can't help but throw their hands and celebrate what God has done. So when we're worshiping here, when we're singing, when I'm leading, when Justin's leading, when Andrew's teaching, you not only have permission to throw your hands in the air in celebration, I would encourage you, and the Bible gives us the direction to extend our hands in honor and in surrender to the one true creator of the universe. Now, Psalm 67, the psalm that we just read, it was certainly written with the Hebrew people in mind. But I would say that it has a much broader context than that. If we read the text, it says, May all nations praise you. May all the nations yadah you. All the nations. That means it's intended for the Hebrews, the Israelites, the early church, the modern church. Friends, that command, that concept of yadah is intended for each and every single one of us. So whether you're charismatic, whether you're, uh, you, you come from a background that's more conservative, you come from a Lutheran or a uh, you know, Pentecostal background, or you come from, an, uh, like we learned last week, the interdenominational churches, <laughs> no matter what kind of background you have, we are called to extend our hands in praise and worship, to lift our hands in yada. All right, second word, second word, in Hebrew for praise is halal. Everybody say halal. halal. Andrew and I were talking about this a couple days ago and he said it's, it's more back in the throat here. Halal. Say that. Halal. halal. Nice. Psalm 149 verse 3. Psalm chapter 149 verse 3. It says praise his name with dancing accompanied by tambourines and harp. Praise, halal, halal his name with dancing accompanied by tambourine and harp. Halal means to boast, to rave, to shine, to celebrate, and be clamorously foolish. Clamorously foolish. 
Halal is the primary Hebrew word for praise, and it's actually where we get the word hallelujah. So we're really familiar with that word, hallelujah. It's where halal uh, is originated there. So how many of you have been to a wedding where there's a dance floor at the reception? Show of hands, dance floor at the reception. I've been to countless weddings where there's a dance floor at the reception. And uh, I would not consider myself a dancer, Just so you know, I would not consider myself a dancer. It's not my thing. But what's really cool about watching the dance floor at a wedding is that there are people out there having a really good time, and there are all kinds of people out there. Some of them have no business being out there at all. There's there's six-year-olds dancing with 75-year-olds, dancing with uh, small people, tall people, big people, really big people, and they all have one thing in common. And it's that they don't care what the people around them think of them when they are celebrating, when they are dancing. And it got me thinking, I wonder why do they not care that people, what people think of them while they're dancing? It's because they have reason to celebrate. They have reason to celebrate. Their friends, their family, they just got married. They are celebrating. They have reason to be clamorously foolish. And now you can already tell where this is going. How much more worthy of our praise, how much more worthy of celebration is Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the God of the universe? How much more worthy is he of our praise and of our clamorously foolish celebration? I would bet that at points, God looks down on us and he looks at our uh, well put together, our planned out, our Midwestern uh, worship service here, and he says, boring boring. And he thinks, I wish that these people would just cut loose and celebrate me the way that they celebrate their friends at a wedding. He is so much more worthy of our celebration than anything, anything at all. The word halal is actually such an important concept uh, in the Psalms that it serves as the end cap for the entire book of Psalms. In Psalm 150, Verse 6, it says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath halal the Lord, halal the Lord. Maybe it's time for all of us to start thinking more about what God thinks of our praise and less about what the people around us think about our praise. How much more worthy is our God of our celebration than anything else. Third word. Third word for praise in Hebrew is zamar. Everybody say zamar. Zamar means to make music, to celebrate in song and music, to touch the strings or parts of a musical instrument. Basically, to play music, to play an instrument. Psalm 144, verse 9. Psalm 144, verse 9 Zamara's reference when it says, I will sing a new song to you, O God. I will sing your praises with a ten-stringed harp. Zamar is the idea that we can worship through music and that worship was actually, uh, music was actually created to bring us closer in the presence of God. In the book of 2 Kings, uh, we see the king of Israel poised on the edge of battle. And they've run out of water and they're kind of freaking out. And the men are talking amongst themselves and they're saying, 
is there a prophet amongst us who could consult with God on our behalf and figure out what we should do? They're looking for a prophet. And at that point, Elijah, Elisha steps forward and says, I've got a word from God. I've got a word from God. But you know what he does before he gives that word from God? He says, I need a soundtrack. I need a soundtrack. I need a musician because what I'm about to say is good and it needs some music behind it. He says, bring me a harpist. And when the music started playing, Elisha gave that word from God and gave it to the men around him. And you can almost picture it. It's like that scene in Braveheart when Mel Gibson is giving that impassioned speech to the men right before they go into battle. Right before they go into battle. And I'm picturing that scene in my mind where they're, he's giving that speech and they're going into battle. And I'm thinking about it. If it didn't have the music behind it, it would have been so weak. It would have been so weak. And it's because music has the capacity to bring us to a place, to bring our hearts to a place that they aren't currently at. Music has the capacity to move us toward God and soften our hearts for what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. Music has a way of softening our hearts and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us. How many of you have ever been in an argument on your way to church? With your kids, with your family? Don't act like that's never happened. Some of you just, you're still kind of giving that elbow right now. (laughs) How many of you have been struggling with something financial or a sickness or something that seems insurmountable in your life when you're on your way to church and you're thinking about all the things, all the stresses of this world and you get here and you kind of make small talk amongst the people around you or you just don't even say anything to anybody and then the music starts and you're not even halfway through that first worship song And your mind, your heart has shifted from the things of this world to the eternal things that God is speaking to your heart. You can look at your spouse, the same person you were just arguing with 10 minutes earlier, and have perspective on God's control in that relationship. Now, let's talk practically here. I mean, that verse verse, um, says to make make music. The zamar means to make music, to play an instrument. And practically, I know that not everybody in here plays the guitar, not everybody plays the piano or the drums, and uh, no offense, but some of you couldn't carry a tune if it had handles on it. No offense. That doesn't mean that you can't engage in Zamar, that you can't let the music bring you closer to the Holy Spirit and let that music prepare your heart for what God has to say to you. Zamar. All right, the fourth word, the fourth word, Hebrew word for worship and praise is Barak. Barak, and I don't mean Obama. Barak. Everybody say Barak. It means to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration, to praise and to thank. Barak is the idea that we kneel before the King of Kings. Psalm 100, verse 4. Psalm 100, verse 4. We can turn there. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. That word praise both times is barak, meaning to kneel. Now, I just read a story, a true story, about a pastor who was on his way to church one morning. He's driving and his phone rings. He picks it up and the person on the other end says, Hey, Ricky, your friend Ricky, has just been in a horrible motorcycle accident, and he is in a coma in the hospital. 
Ricky was this pastor's uh, good friend when he was pastoring him when he was a youth pastor. So um, after that worship service that morning, he got on a plane and he actually flew to be with Ricky and his family. And he gets to the hospital and Ricky, he sees Ricky in the bed, laying lifeless in the bed. He's in a coma. And for the next few days, the pastor prays with and, and cries with the family and they pray for God to intervene and to heal Ricky to no avail. At one point, the doctors even come into the room and they explain to everybody that there is little to no chance, little to no chance that Ricky is going to survive this. And so when it came time for the pastor to go home and fly back to his church, uh, he left feeling like he had done nothing. He left feeling like he had been no help at all to Ricky or his family. Fast forward a few more days and it's Sunday morning again, the following week, and he's driving again, the pastor's driving again to church, his phone rings, and it's Ricky's dad on the other line, and Ricky's dad is asking him to officiate uh, the impending funeral. Ricky hasn't passed, but they're, they're making practical plans for Ricky's funeral in a couple of weeks, and... The, they make small talk, you know, kind of about, like, how, how's that going to look practically? What works for tickets? And, and where are you going to stay? And at one point, Ricky's dad says, hey, can you hold on just a second? I've got another call coming in. He puts him on hold. And a few more minutes pass as the pastor's thinking about the, the sermon he's going to give that morning. And the line clicks back on. And Ricky's dad says, Ricky just woke up. Ricky just woke up. And they cried together on the phone and they processed together on the phone about what the next steps were going to be. And as that pastor, walking in late to his, his own worship service, the band was already playing. And he got to his spot in the, in the front row and he fell to his knees because that was the only appropriate thing he could do to praise the God who had just done a miracle, who had just done a miracle in his friend Ricky's life. Yeah. Barack is the idea that the, sometimes the only appropriate thing to do is to fall on our knees and bow before the, the creator of all things. Now, there's just a side note here, just a little bit of extra. There are some people who say that miracles don't happen anymore, that God doesn't do miracles. Don't listen to them. That is garbage. That is garbage. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he continues to do miracles in all of our lives daily. So friends, sometimes the only appropriate thing to do is to fall on our knees in worship and praise of our Father. Fifth word, fifth word, Hebrew word for praise is tehillah. Everybody say tehillah. Tehillah. Ba-da-ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba. Tehillah. Now, Tehillah means uh, laudation, a hymn, a song of praise, a new song, a spontaneously song. Boil that down, it means a song. We can praise through song. Psalm 22, Psalm chapter 22, verse 3 says, But you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel, on the Tehillah of Israel. Now the book of Psalms is actually a collection of these type of songs, these type of hymns. It's a collection of these songs. In fact, in Hebrew, uh, the word uh, that the psalm, uh, the book of Psalms is called the Tehillim. The Tehillim is the collection that we would call 
the Psalms. Tehillah is used 57 times in Scripture. Now, the part of the definition of Tehillah that I want to focus on uh, right now is when it says a new song. It says to sing a new song. The word new appears in the Bible over 150 times. And you know what word follows the word new more than any other word? Song. The Bible says over and over and over again to sing a new song. And it got me thinking, why does the Bible say to sing a new song? Why is it so important that it's in there over and over and over again? And I would say that we are to sing a new song because new songs have a way of impacting our hearts in a new way. New songs have a way of impacting our hearts that old songs don't. Songs that we've sung time and time and time again tend to connect us with our emotions and with our memory. And new songs have a way of impact, bring, reminding us who God is and bringing us to new places in our encounter with him. Tehillah also reminds us that uh, the concept is that there can be a spontaneous song. That songs don't have to be planned out, written, and polished. They can be like a child's song when they're just making up a song on the fly. Our songs of praise can be like that. Uh, Tony Brown is a worship pastor at a small small house church in the Atlanta area. And uh, there's probably no more than a couple dozen people who attend this small house church. And uh, one time after he was done leading worship, a woman that he knew came up to him and says, Tony, can we just get everybody surrounding me right now to pray for me? I need a reminder that God is good and that uh, he will carry me through this tough time right now. So they surrounded the friend and they prayed for her and Tony just felt the Holy Spirit speaking to his heart that he needed to sing these words that were coming to him. That he needed to sing this song over his friend. And Tony said these words to her. He said, you're a good, good father. It's who you are and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Now, that song was given to Tony in that small, quiet, intimate setting for his friend. It was a tequila, an unplanned song. He had no idea the impact it would have. In fact, he had no idea that his friends around him would be singing that song for an hour around their friend. He had no idea that it would be uh, sung by churches across the globe and impact millions and millions and millions of people. Friends, we are called to sing a new song, a spontaneous song, so that God can have new impact on our hearts. So that God can have new impact on our hearts. Sixth word, Shabbat. To address in a loud tone, to shout, to commend, glory, and triumph. Everybody say Shabbat. Shabbat. Good. Psalm 145, verse 4. Turn to Psalm 145, verse 4. It says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Now, in some translations, that word tell is written as praise. So it says, Let's, Let each generation praise your works. To another. Now that word um, shabak is what it's talking about there, that we are to talk to the next generation and tell the next generation who God is. 
my wife and I, uh, when we got married, we decided really early on, really early on, that we were going to give generously to the church and to organizations that uh, seek after the lost and those who are far from the God. We were going to always give generously to the church. And uh, when we first got married, we didn't have a lot of money. In fact, I look back on it, I don't think we knew how little we had, but it was none. We had, no, we had very little And through the years, as our jobs changed and as salaries changed, we were able to uh, give more to those churches and those organizations that align themselves with um, God and teaching people about who he is. And I won't go into all the details, but but through the years, God has come through for me and my wife and my family over and over and over again because we have been faithful to him He has been faithful to us. Now, I mentioned a few minutes ago that we have a two-year-old son named Henry. And sooner, much sooner, rather than later, we're going to have conversations with him about who God is and what he's done. Now, there's a couple different approaches we can take to talking to Henry about who God is and what he's done. Uh, We can take the approach of kind of, you know, hands in the pockets. Hey, Henry, uh... God's good, and he's been good to us, so someday you should do that too. Or we could shabak the name of Jesus to him and tell him how time and time and time again God has come through on our behalf because of our faithfulness to him. He is faithful to us. And when he's a little older, we can invite him to join in alongside of us in giving of our time and our, and our generosity to God. And in those moments we can tell him, we can shabak to him the faithfulness of Jesus. When we came to Nebraska, when we packed up everything and moved to a state we have never been before, we were trusting God to take care of us, and he has time and time and time again. Now, which approach do you think is going to work best with Henry? Kind of the, uh, hey, God's, uh, God's good? Or... The approach where we tell him time and time and time again how God has come through for us. Invite him to be uh, a part of that with us so that someday when the world offers him something, he has a faith of his own that he can shabak in the face of what this world has to offer. Which approach do you think we should take? I recently was reading an article about uh, the loudest sound ever recorded, ever written down, ever in the history, uh, the known history of the world. It was in 1883, a volcano exploded near Indonesia, and it was so loud that it ruptured the eardrums of sailors on a ship 40 miles away. That's like a, a noise happening here and shattering the eardrums of people near the Bellevue area. It was so loud that it was heard faintly 3,000 miles away. 3,000 miles away. That's like us all collectively yelling right now and them hearing it in Ecuador. I'll take it one step further. That sound, is, it was so loud that it reverberated. It circled the globe four times. It circled the globe four times. Like when I clap and I can hear that bounce off, it reverberated around the globe four times. Even in 1883, there were weather stations dotted throughout the world that were measuring uh, the atmospheric pressure with their barometers. And like clockwork for five days, as that sound pressure moved around the world, they saw the spike. They saw the spike. 
Friends, that is what our Shabbat is supposed to look like. We are supposed to tell and teach and, enc- and encourage the next generation the way that that sound traveled around the globe. We are called to tell the next generation. It says, Psalm 145, verse 4 says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Now, parents, grandparents, you have the calling and the responsibility to be telling the next generation about who God is, about who God he is. Now, we have an amazing children's ministry down the hall. Amazing children's ministry and and an amazing youth ministry here on Wednesday nights. But I would argue that it's not their primary responsibility to tell their kids about, to, to tell the kids about who God is and what he's done. But it is, parents and grandparents, your responsibility. It is your responsibility to be telling them who God is and what he's done. Now, some of you aren't going to like what I'm about to say. Parents, if your walk is shallow and superficial, how can you ever hope to pass on a deep walk with God? How could you ever hope to pass it on when your walk is shallow? Brooke Legit Wood, she's a pastor, a worship pastor in, uh, at Hillsong Church in Australia. She says, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his presence is not inherited. We each have to walk the path in his presence. How can we lead people to places we have never gone? Parents, grandparents, everyone. How can you expect your kids or the people around you to follow in your footsteps when it's a shallow walk? How can we lead people to places we've never gone? We are called to Shabbat, the name of Jesus, to everyone around us, not just our kids, to our friends, to our coworkers, everyone in our family, so that it may reverberate around the world for generations and generations to come. All right, the final word, the final Hebrew word for praise is taudah. Everybody say taudah. Tauda. Psalm 56, Psalm 56, verse 11 and 12. Psalm 56, 11 and 12. It says, I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God. I will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. Now, some translations word that last part of verse 12 just a little bit differently, and it says, I will render praises to you. I will render praises to you. That word praise is the concept, the word tauda. Now, tauda means thanksgiving, a confession, a sacrifice of praise. Thanksgiving, listen to this, Thanksgiving for things not yet received. Thanksgiving for things not yet received. Now, there's a concept of worship that we are so unfamiliar with. That we have lost or we never had was this concept of thanking God for things that have not happened yet. Now, there are millions and millions and millions of worship songs that have been written through the years, I'm sure. And most of, uh, all of those songs fall into four different categories of songs. I just want to touch on one of those categories of songs right now. They are songs to God. We sing a lot of songs to God. And these are the most obvious kinds of songs. They're the songs where we're, uh, 
we're asking God for something, for, for faith, for strength, for power, clarity, comfort. Uh, we're, we're praising him for what he's done. We're thanking, thanking him for something. So few of those songs are about things that God has not done for us yet. So few of those songs are we singing praises to our God for the things that he hasn't done yet, but he is going to do. Many of you know um, Pastor Glenn, Glenn Hudson. He's our congregational care pastor here at the church, and his job um, is usually really behind the scenes, but it's so important that it touches every single ministry here, and I would argue it touches every single person here. His job is so integral to what this church is about. Uh, Recently, Glenn's mother passed away, just a couple weeks ago, in fact, and when Glenn was in the hospital with his family and with his mother, Glenn prayed that God would give him strength to carry him through this time. He prayed to give him strength for his family, that he could be that rock for his family. Now, after his mother passed, Glenn's family was inconsolable. As you can imagine, when somebody passes away, it is a hard, hard, hard time. And Glenn was a rock. He was strong through that time, both individually and for his family. He was strong. And if you know Glenn at all, that is not Glenn's MO. He is an emotional man in the, the, the best sense of the word. He is. He is. And God answered his prayer and gave him strength. And Glenn found himself thinking, I'm surprised that, that, that I was able to be strong through this. This is such a hard time. I'm not normally like this. But then his, his mind shifted, his thoughts shifted to why am I surprised that God has come through for me in this time when I asked him? He is the God of the universe. Why am I surprised that he has come through for me? Friends, why should any of us, why should any of us be surprised when the creator of the universe comes through for us? How many times have we seen God transform lives? How many times have we seen marriages restored, addictions broken? Right here in this room even. I would bet that in this room right now, there are all kinds of people. There are people who are going through um, a marriage issue. There are people who are going through an addiction. There are people who are going through an illness right now. And I would encourage each and every single one of you, each and every single one of us, that we need to be praising God for the things that he is going to do through that marriage. For the things that, that for, for breaking the chains of that addiction. We need to be praising him right now for the things that he's going to do. Because we've seen him do it before. Why should we surprise that he's going to do it again? We should not be surprised that God comes through on our behalf. So I started this message talking about these tools and the tools of praise and of worship. And let me remind you that the things that we've been talking about are completely useless if we don't do anything with them. If you just lock these away in your head and say, oh, that's good stuff. It's completely useless to you and completely useless to me. We've been talking about these, these things of praise so that when you read the Bible and you see that word, you can dig a little deeper and know that it has a meaning to you that it was intended beyond what your initial thoughts of praise and worship are to look like. So are you going to take the things that we've talked about this morning and are you going to put them into practice? Are you going to make them impact your life and let God 
come into your praise? Or are you just going to put them on a shelf, let them rust away, and not use them? I would challenge you to let what we've talked about this morning impact you in new and fresh ways. And another thought, these things that we've been talking about are not, I repeat, they are not just for Sunday. This hour and a half that we spend together as a family, though it's good and we praise and we sing songs together and we learn about the Bible, there's a whole other 99% of the week where we should be praising our God. Take these things that we've talked about and implement them in your daily lives. At work, at home, with your family. Shabbat to the next generation about who God is and what he's done. Because we've seen him do it and we're going to see him do it again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these things that you have uh, given us through your word in the Bible. We know that uh, these tools were intended for us to use, and we would ask that you would just give us clarity and direction on how to use them each day in our walk with you. God, we would ask that you would change our hearts to align with the way that you taught us to praise, Father. We know that you have great things for us in store. You have great things for us in our future, God. We've seen you do it, and we'll see you do it again, Father. We ask all of these things in your risen name. Amen.